0: I invite uh, Helen Austin to bring to us our Bible reading from the book of Genesis. Thank you, Helen.
1: There it is over there. It's on page 14, I think it's up there too. We'll have a quicker service now because people don't have to talk so much. It's Genesis 21 verse 1 to 21. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age, at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore, bore him. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. The child grew and was weaned, and on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. But Sarah saw that the son whom Agar the Egyptian had borne to Abraham was mocking. And she said to Abraham, Get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. But God said to him, Do not be so distressed about the boy and your maid servant. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you, because it, because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make a son of his maid servant into a nation also because he is your offspring. Early the next morning Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave him gave them to Hagar. He set them out on his shoulders and sent and then sent her off with the boy. She went on away and wandered into the desert of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone she put the boy under one of the bushes then she went off and sat down nearby about a bow shot away, for she thought, I cannot watch this, the boy die. And as she sat there nearby, she began to sob. God heard the boy crying, and the angel of the Lord called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes to And she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy as he grew up. He lived in the desert and became an archer. While he was living in the desert of Paran, his mother got him a wife for him from Egypt. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Thank you, Helen. What a fascinating story. What's that mean for us today? That's the big question though, isn't it? Father, we ask that you would open our eyes too, that we might see this incredible spring of life that you've given to us, that we might see the relevance of your word and understand its meaning for us today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The Bible is a book of hope. It's a book that's filled with stories of of love, of power, of faith and glory. It's a book with a message of grace, of peace, redemption, salvation, and miracles. Yet, amazingly, the Bible is filled with impossible and hopeless situations from our perspective. Stories appear on the pages of God's Word, and many of them are just impossible situations. And in many of these stories, there seems to be, from our perspective, no solution, no way out. There are storms, there are needs, there are deaths, there are sicknesses, and many other kinds of problems. For us it seems hopeless, yet time after time God enters into these hopeless situations and they are handled by his sovereign power without a problem whatsoever. And one of those stories is in the text we read today and I want to look a little bit more closely the story of Hagar and Ishmael. It's a fascinating story because the story it opens up in in the home of a man named Abraham. Now Abraham may have been father of the faithful but his family life was a shambles it really was it was a mess in uh, in Genesis chapter 16 we we I haven't read that we haven't read that today but the the story sort of starts for us there that particular this particular episode starts there where Abraham and Sarah are unable to have children and so Sarah thinks well there's a way we can have children so she gives her slave to Abraham to have as his wife and so Abraham takes the slave to bed conceives a child and everything's hunky-dory not really that's where the problems really begin to start because this particular arrangement does nothing more than cause trouble for Abraham Sarah and Hagar because Sarah she's jealous of Hagar and her baby and Hagar is jealous of Sarah and her relationship with Abraham and poor Abraham is stuck in the middle trying to please two women (laughs) what was he thinking Amazing. But it's there in the scripture, isn't it? By the way, the world is still paying the price for their foolish choices because many of the Muslim nation trace their lineage back to Ishmael. Muhammad is said to have been a descendant of Ishmael. Interesting. But in our text, things come to a head. There's a civil war in Abraham's tent, and as a result, Hagar finds herself in a desperate situation. And in the midst of that terrible time, though, She has a powerful encounter with Almighty God. And out of Hagar's pain comes a ray of hope for all of us who find ourselves in difficult, harsh places in life. So regardless of the arena of life, I want you to see this morning that God can take your hopeless situation and turn it around for His glory. And that's been the whole purpose of this sermon series is to build us up in our most holy faith. I want you to see that God can and will and still does do things in our lives. And I want to focus in on a question that God asks to Hagar. It's interesting in verse number 17 of our reading, Genesis chapter 21, verse 17. God says to Hagar, what is the matter? Hagar, what's the matter? That's a great question to ask. And God still asks us that question today. What's the matter? If you have a problem, regardless of what the problem is, I think that God has a word of hope for us in these verses. Because there's a plan for our problem. God has that plan. There's a cure for our condition. God has the cure. So let's consider the lessons we learn as we examine this case of this brokenhearted mother. First of all, I want you to re- recognize that, that this story, it's, it's a really harsh rejection story. Because things have been tense in Abraham's tent for many years. And in this passage, Isaac is about three. That means Ishmael is probably around about 17 years of age. And they're celebrating the fact that Isaac is beginning to mature. He's being weaned. So he's going from a little baby to a little boy. We see that in verse 8. And things come to a head during this feast. And Hagar faces a terrible time of rejection. So let's have a look at that. In our Bibles, you might like to open your Bible to... uh, Genesis 21 verses 9 to 10. Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar the Egyptian had borne to Abraham was mocking. And she said to Abraham, Get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. So Ishmael in this particular Part of the story, he's making fun of and mocking Isaac and the festivities. And that word mocking is actually a very strong form of the word Isaac, which means laughter. So Ishmael is laughing at his brother. Ishmael sees that the hopes of his own inheritance are being dashed because Isaac is prospering. He knew that Isaac was the son of promise and he was just the son of a slave. And he realizes that he's never going to be anything more than he is right then and there. And he's jealous of Isaac. And so he acts out during the feast. Sarah sees this and she blows a stack and demands that Hagar and Isaac be sent away. And I want to mention that that to mock Isaac was a serious matter to God. Because to mock him was also to mock God's people. Isaac was the one through whom the nation of Israel was going to come. And it was also to mock God's promise because Isaac was the son of promise. He was the miracle baby. And it was also to mock God's power. Isaac came into the world because God was greater than old age, dead wombs, and the abilities of men. And mocking Isaac was also mocking God's provision because it would be through Isaac that the Messiah was going to come into the world. So you can see that Ishmael had a problem here. Mocking Isaac wasn't just mocking Isaac. He was also mocking God. Let's have a look back at the Bible again. Verse 11 to 14. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. But God said to him, Do not be so distressed about the boy and your maidservant. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you, because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of the maidservant into a nation also, because he is your offspring. And earlier the next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He set them on her shoulders, then sent her off with the boy. And she went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. So Abraham, he's reluctant here to do what Sarah's demanding him do. After all, it would be be against all human sensibilities, wouldn't it? To do this kind of thing, against all the norms of decent society. Yet God says it's okay. It's part of his plan for both Isaac and Ishmael. So for Abraham, this is about as real as things get at the moment. He's forced to send away his oldest son and the son's mother. And it breaks his heart to send them away. And this event, it shook Abraham to his very foundations. There's no doubt that he loved Ishmael, his firstborn son. And he certainly had feelings for Hagar as well. It was a hard morning for Abraham. But an even harder morning was coming if you know the story of Abraham, because in the next chapter, God is going to command Abraham to even sacrifice Isaac, the son of promise on Mount Moriah. But Abraham, he honored the Lord in both cases and he did exactly what the Lord told him to do. So sending Ishmael away was merely a preparation of Abraham for doing something even greater, the sacrificing of his own son. Just think about it for a moment. If Abraham had refused to give up Ishmael, he would never have given up Isaac either. So it's interesting how the story, you know, everything has consequences. But I, what I want you to see here, though, from this particular story, is that sometimes life is hard. You get some really hard choices that you have to make. That's real, isn't it? We have lives like that, don't we? We have to make hard choices. And things are sometimes going, one moment everything's going terrific, and the next moment you're lying flat in your back. Life is filled with hard realities, heartbreaking moments, Sickness comes, people die, relationships fall apart, churches disintegrate, finances fail, depression rears its head, difficulties arise, troubles dog our steps. That's the reality of life. Of course, we should be aware that God said it was going to be like that from the very beginning. In Genesis chapter 3, remember the curse? Thorns and thistles are going to be there. Life is going to be painful and difficult. That's what God said, and that's precisely what we experience. Joseph Parker, he was a a pastor in London in the 1800s, he said this. He said, speak to the suffering and you'll never lack an audience. There's a broken heart in every crowd. (laughs) Isn't that true? Broken hearts, put up your hand. We're all like that in some way. So this story, so far, has been a time of very harsh rejection. It's also a time of hopeless realities. Have a look at, at verse 15. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes. Interesting. Notice something fantastic here. This is really interesting to look at. Why did Abraham send Hagar away with just one skin filled with water and a little bit of food? Abraham was a rich man. He could have given her land and animals and all the things that she needed for her future. He could have done that. But he just gives her a bottle of water and a bit of bread and sends her off and away. I think think that Abraham was taking God at his word. He simply releases Ishmael and Hagar into the sovereign hand of God, trusting that God was going to do the right thing. But Hagar and Ishmael are in a desperate situation now. That's how life can be at times, can't it? Desperate. And there was pain. Look at verse 16. When she went off, then she went off and sat down nearby, about a bowshot away, for she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. And she sat there nearby and she began to sob. Mm. Hagar's heart is now broken. She is sure that Ishmael, her son, is going to die. This is a desperate situation, isn't it? she leaves him under a bush and she goes away because she doesn't want to witness the death of her son a bow shot well I presume that in those days the bows aren't as good as the compound bows and all that sort of stuff we got these days probably about 60 meters or so. so just a distance away she leaves Ishmael and she goes off to weep she finds herself in a desperate situation she can't fix it and she cannot escape you ever been there a desperate situation that you can't fix And you cannot get away from. Most of us have been there. Most of us actually like to be in control of our lives. And when we can't control it or fix it, what do we do? We get desperate, don't we? I do. Let's be real. Of course, Hagar, she shouldn't have worried. She had the promise of God that that He was going to make Ishmael the father of a great nation. That was the promise. He wasn't going to die out there in the wilderness and in that moment of desperation, Hagar's pain blinded her to God's promise. Have you ever been there? God promises you something, but you don't see that promise because you're just looking at your circumstances. All the difficulties, all the pain, all the problems, that's all you see. You don't see beyond that to say, hey, God has promised to care for me. The fact is, of course, that Life hurts, and sometimes it hurts real bad. And when it does, we want to run away from our problems and from our pain. And we fail to see that in our pain is the path that God is using to fulfill the promises He's made. Brothers and sisters, if you can learn to trust God, even when you can't trace Him, He'll grant you peace in times of your pain. Listen to the, this Bible verse. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6-7 to 7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, What can we be anxious about? Nothing. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Is that not a promise of God? And isn't it one that we don't test very often? We don't. It says in all circumstances, in every situation, don't be anxious. Hmm. That speaks to me right now. I'm like, yeah, okay, I should have listened to that one. I'm going to test that one out. How about you? All right, let's go back to our our verses from Genesis. Verses 16 and 17. Something's going on there. I don't know whether Hagar prayed or not she was crying she's sobbing but Ishmael I think was praying because God hears him by the name by the way the name Ishmael means God hears what a great name to have God hears interesting so prayer that's something we don't use often enough, isn't it? it? It's an ever-present resource that we have as believers. Believers? Uh, believers in this room, yes? Prayer is the resource that belongs to you. We can run to God anytime, anywhere, for any purpose, and He promised that He will hear us. Yeah, let me show you from, from Matthew's Gospel. Listen to what Jesus says. Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 to 8, it says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. God has promised to hear us. Prayer should be our first priority, not the final straw. What do we do? Final straw, don't we? We do everything else but Pray. And then we finally we've got nothing else we can do. We go, oh, I better talk to God. I'm desperate now. Look, here's the truth. Problems are going to come into your lives. And when they do, they'll, come, they'll be unwanted. They'll be unannounced. And when they come, they're going to hurt us deeply. And when they come, we must not delay. We must run to the Lord. He will hear us and he'll help us. He may change the situation, but more often than not, he's going to change us. The Apostle Paul, he was a good man of prayer. In uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7-11, to 11. <coughs> listen to what Paul says. He says, To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given to me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take him away from me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I'll boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. The difference between Paul's attitude and trouble and my own attitude is that I have not yet reached the place where I can openly welcome troubles. Perhaps I should. How about you? That's a tough learning experience, isn't it? To Say, you know what? I'm weak right now. I've got no idea what to do, but God is great and I love Him anyway. And He's going to provide the answers. That's the way we ought to be. Many years ago, A.W. Tozer said this. Listen to what he said. The devil, things and people, being what they are, it is necessary for God to use the hammer, the files and the furnace of His holy work of preparing a saint for true sainthood. It is doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. Ah, oh, let's not hear that sermon. <laughs> <laughs> God is good. He loves you. But remember, as his children, he will also discipline you. And that's how you know that he loves you. If he didn't care about you, he doesn't love you. And he wouldn't be disciplining you. Yet we come under God's hand of discipline often, don't we? That's because he loves us. He does hurt us deeply, but it's always to make us grow. It's always to make us more like Jesus. So if the Lord is going to develop us into the image of Christ, which is why he saved us in the first place, he's going to do that through the events of our lives. And he'll send you exactly what is going to what it's going to take to transform us into the person we are saved to be. Romans chapter eight verses twenty eight and twenty nine says. In all things, in how many things? In all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. Why? So that we be conformed to the image of Jesus. We can enter into our lives and into the pain and the difficulty of life and say, thank you, Lord. I'm becoming more and more like Jesus. And I want to be like Jesus but sometimes that might mean a difficult road. So, so far we've seen in the story of of Hagar and Ishmael that there's there's a harsh rejection, there are hopeless realities, but there's also a time of of wonderful hidden resources. Because when Hagar went through this, this time of terrible tragedy, she's enveloped by some very precious hidden resources. She didn't realize it, but God was there and he had just what she needed to see her through. She was so overcome by her grief that she couldn't see the resources that were right before her eyes. Have you ever been there? Where you just, circumstances get on top of you and you can't see what's happening and yet amazingly God comes through. He does. We have God's providence which is happening here. God has a a plan in all of this. In Galatians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul speaks of this particular episode as an illustration of salvation. He says, Sarah is a picture of the grace of God. Hagar is a picture of the law of God, uh, the law of works. Isaac is a picture of faith. Ishmael is a picture of the flesh. And the lesson really clear. Grace and law are two incompatible things. And so are the flesh and faith. And Ishmael, he represents all the efforts of the flesh. And he had to go so that the son of faith, Isaac, Might obtain his rightful place so the pain of this particular situation and all the sufferings they're all part of God's big plan both in the short term and the long term God was using these events in the life of Abraham and Isaac and he's still using them to teach us about faith and salvation and sinners God has a plan brothers and sisters And sometimes it involves us walking through hard places. He knows what he's doing. And interestingly, until you walk through the valley, you really don't appreciate the view from the mountaintop, do you? That's the way it works. That's the way it works. Hagar didn't know this, but God was present. He'd been there the whole time. And by the way, God won't leave you either. He's promised always to be with us, never to leave us nor forsake us. He'll never. We never live a second or take a step in this world as a child of God without Him being there. Sometimes we can't see Him. We don't trace Him being there. That's true. But He is with us. Have a look at verse 17 from, from Genesis 21. God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what is the matter, Hagar? That I find interesting. God calls her by name. Notice the contrast between verse 17 and verse number 10. Sarah says to Abraham, Get rid of that slave woman and her son, that person. I'm not even going to name her. Get rid of her. And God says, What's the matter, You see, we treat people like objects, get rid of them. But God says, I know your name. And he calls you by your name and says, what's the matter? Why are you crying? What's up? God's concerned about her problem. And God speaks peace to her heart. God knows. God cares. And God can speak peace to your heart. After all, God has the name of I am. I am what? Well, I am means the all-present one, yes. Ever-present, all-present. But it also means I am, I am whatever you need me to be. I am your God. I am your resource. I am your solution. And I am with you. He's that kind of a God. He's our God. But look at God's promise. In verse 18, he says, lift the boy up. And take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Now, God might not make you into a great nation, but God will take care of you. I can promise you that. What does it say in Philippians chapter 4, verse 19? It says, My God, says the Apostle Paul, will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. That's a promise we can take hold of, isn't it? God's going to meet our needs. What's the resources God's got? Glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Everything that you need, God can provide for you. Well, let's have a look at God's provision here in verse 19. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. God opens her eyes and he shows what has been right in front of her all along. The Bible says God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. There are two words in the Old Testament used to refer to the word well. One is an artesian well or a spring of water. This kind of well occurs naturally. That's not the word that's used here. This word here is used for a well that has been dug by someone. Someone came along there with a pick and a shovel and dug a well. That's interesting. Think about it. At some point in the past, God had moved on the heart of some traveller to dig a well right there where Hagar and Ishmael were going to be. And God did that because he knew Hagar and Ishmael were going to be on that spot on that day and they would need that well of water that he had to offer them. Praise God! Isn't God good? I want to remind you that we have a God who works on both ends of time to accomplish his purposes. God is already in your tomorrow. He is. He's an eternal God. I know it's hard to come to terms with our little brains, but he's already there in tomorrow. He's providing tomorrow for what we need then. When you get there, you understand what I'm saying? God's caring for you. He's already planning stuff in the future. He's already left it there for our provision. So I want you to remind you that God, He's called El Olam in the Bible. That means the eternal God. He's called Yahweh, the I Am. He's eternally ever present. Past, present, future. God's there in all those places all at once. And He's a God who is able. He's able to provide. And we find that throughout the Bible. Our problem is, of course, that we are blind to His provisions. Yet he can open our eyes and show us that he has everything we could ever need. He has what you need. God does. He has what you need if you'll come to him and you can have the provision that God will provide. Let me ask a question What is the matter? What's your problem? What's the matter? God's asking it. Whatever it is, listen again to the words of the Savior Jesus says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. What's the matter? You're tired? God will come give you a rest. Look at verse 19 for a moment. God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. Think of this for a second. God has given to Hagar a well. And she's been trying to live off a skinful. Not like that we think of a skinful, like having too many beers, you know. But a skinful of water. But isn't that just what we do? God has given us unlimited spiritual resources. The riches of the glorious inheritance we have in Christ, they belong to us, all these resources, and we settle for what? So much less. A little bottle full instead. It's time to throw away the bottle and jump into the well. Really. God has everything we need, so we need to come to him and trust him to provide it. Brothers and sisters, there is A well. A well unlimited resource well there's a well of salvation for lost people whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved there's a, there's a well of hope for the hopeless trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not in your own understanding in all your ways acknowledge him he'll direct your paths there's a well of power for the weak I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me for God has not given us a spirit of fear but of power of love and of a sound mind praise God I want to jump in that well and there's a well of joy for the brokenhearted. It says, Rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory will be revealed, you may be glad also with an exceeding joy. And there's a well of peace for the troubled. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will keep your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. There's a well of provision for the needy. But my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Do you hear what the Bible saying? There's also a well of forgiveness for people who are fallen. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And there's a well of restoration for broken people. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, says Jesus, because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those that are bruised. Do you hear the wells that we can jump into and just absorb, luxuriate in, backstroke, lie in it, enjoy God, worship him. He is the great I am. I am what? whatever you need me to be what is the matter whatever is the matter bring it to God and let him show you let him show you that he knows who you are remember he calls to Hagar by name Jesus says I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and they know me back in the old days the shepherds used to know each sheep by name these days we stick an ear tag on them they got a number that's all We just measure the kilos. That's all we care about. But in those days, the shepherd knew them by name. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. He knows the path we are walking to. He knows the way that I take it, says in Job. And when he's tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Yes, how's that? And he knows what's happening in your life. The very hairs in your head are all numbered. He knows which ones I combed out this morning. He knows the numbers. I don't. He does. And he knows what you need. Listen to Jesus. He says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? Not me. Why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? See that? Even when we've got little faith, God's going to care for us. Praise God. So, do not worry, says Jesus, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day is enough trouble of its own. Ain't that the truth? Eh? And also, know, when you go, what's the matter? Know that God loves you. The Lord has appeared. Says, Job, says in Jeremiah, has he appeared of old unto me saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love, therefore with loving kindness I have drawn you. God loves you. Do you hear what the Bible saying? And he's drawing you to himself. And God cares about you. In, the, in in 1 Peter it says, cast all your care upon him. Why? Because he cares about you. Do you hear the well that we can be in? And he has a plan for you as well. And Jeremiah says, God says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Brothers and sisters, let's get rid of the little bottle. Let's jump into the well of God's provision. Let's be in that together. Let's praise Him. Let's thank Him. He's called us by name and He says, what's the matter? Let him know what your matter is and watch him provide. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we give you thanks and we give you praise for these ancient stories that are so incredibly relevant to us today. Father, we ask and I would ask for all the brothers and sisters here today that you would speak to each heart separately. May they each one know that we are known to you and called by name as you care for us as individuals. Thank you that you are God almighty. We worship you. In Jesus' name.